James 3. We are going to talk about the joy of the tongue today. The joy of the tongue. And just be forewarned, we're going to be here for about, uh, in verses 1 through 12, uh, we're going to be here for about three weeks because there's a lot to say. There's a lot to say. And, and uh, I've tried to move through these books at a good pace, but, but I believe that James 3, if we're honest, the tongue is, a, is, a, is one of those areas that have whooped all of us. I, I, I promise you, every single person in here could give testimony to how the tongue has, has whooped them and got a hold of them, exactly as James says. And so I want to I wanna spend a few weeks here in James and, and hopefully challenge us in the way that God has been challenging me. Because as you know, I'm a talker and I love to talk. And sometimes my words can get ahead of my brain. And um, I, I have caused much harm and damage with my tongue, as, as some of you may have as well. So let's... Uh, Let's learn together and by God's grace uh, get a hold of our tongues. But James 3, we're only going to look at verses 1 through 5 today. 1 through 5. James 3, 1 through 5. Let, many, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into horses of mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire? In anyone, anyone growing up, anyone, raise your hand if you ever had your mouth washed out with soap. Yeah, look at that. The rest of you just missed out. It's fun. It's fun. We tried that. We tried that once with Sarah Grace. I don't know why we didn't try it with Bradley, but we tried it with Sarah Grace, our second. And we thought that we were, we were being good parents. There's no telling what she says. She... She has a lot of her father in her, and uh, um, she no telling what she said, but we were trying to change her speech, and we did that, and we were real proud of ourselves until about two seconds after we did it, she threw up. Then we felt horrible, and here we are repenting to her and asking her for forgiveness when we're trying to change her speech. But, but what's the goal? The goal, what's the goal of trying to wash? We have not tried it since because of that, but what's the goal of washing someone's mouth out with soap? The goal is to clean up your speech. Ben knows. He's raising his hand. You know, it's to change their speech. It's to correct their speech. The problem is, is that washing your mouth out with soap, that, that doesn't really get to the core of the problem because the mouth isn't the problem. The heart is the problem. The mouth is just telling on the problem being the heart. And James here in James 3 is getting at that. He, he, is, he is correcting our speech. He's purifying our speech. But ultimately what he's going to say is that our speech isn't the problem. Our hearts are the problem. And I believe this is a very practical word for today. Just as you as a parent or, or your parents may have tried to wash your mouth out with soap trying to fit your speech with what was acceptable for your family, 
I believe James here is trying to correct and clean up our speech so that it would be fitting with those of us who are Christians, believers in Jesus Christ. And with that, James is also warning us regarding the tremendous power that is in the tongue. And he does that with three illustrations, the horse, the ship, and the fire. And again, we're, we're going to be here for weeks, uh, and, and I think it'll make sense. I don't, we're not going to beleaguer the same points for weeks. James makes, James makes different points. I want to focus on those. But one, one main point that I want to see us today, one thing that I want us to walk out of here realizing today that really hopefully will set the stage for the rest of this study as we look at the tongue is this. Then you see it on your handout. No other member of our physical body has comparable power and range of influence to do and to cause evil than the tongue. No other member of our body has the power for evil, the power to cause problems, and the ability to cause problems in the tongue. You, you see the notes are very short on your handout today, but the, bank, the back is blank, and here's why. Here's why. I want you thinking about that. Our first point is words are powerful. That's what I want us to see today, simply that our words are powerful. I want you on the flip side for the next few minutes. I want to give you a few minutes. I want you to take a moment and list all the ways that you can think of that you can sin with your tongue. I want you to take a few minutes and just write down all the ways that you can sin with your tongue. Do, do that for just a few minutes, just to illustrate the power of the tongue. Go ahead, take a few minutes, flip, that, flip the notes over. I'll give, you, I'll give you a couple of examples. What about lying? That would be a sin of the tongue. Hypocrisy. That would be a sin of the tongue. Just write down all the ways that we can sin with our tongues. Take a few minutes and do that. Let, let, me, let, me, let me list some and see if... I, I thought about this this week. Uh, we were on vacation, and I missed you guys, and I know that Barry Chesney did a great job, hopefully not too good a job. Y'all calling him? I'm just kidding. He's a great guy, good friend of mine, and a uh, very smart individual, loves the Lord and His Word. But I thought about this week, and I had all week to kind of comprise this list. I gave y'all about four minutes. But, but I want you to li listen, listen to the sins of the tongue. This is some of the list that I came up with, and now I'm going to list all the ways that the Bible speaks. Now, just to, again, illustrate... The power of the tongue, sins of the tongue, hypocrisy, lying, flattery, gossip, hate. The tongue has the ability to set murderous plots in motion, invoke fear in others, destroy others, distort the facts, exaggerate, boast, backbite, tailbearing, conceal, curse, complain, uh, wishing hurt on others, whispering, tattling, meddling, it, even the tone of your words to insinuate something by the tone, false witness, sow discord, cause issues, stir emotions. L listen with me, all the sins of the tongue. These are the sins that the Bible directly mentions. The, the Bible directly mentions, or indirectly, these sins of the tongue. A wicked tongue, a deceitful tongue, a lying tongue, a perverse tongue, a filthy tongue, a corrupt tongue, a bitter tongue, an angry tongue, a crafty tongue, a flattering tongue, a slandering tongue, a gossiping tongue, a backbiting tongue, a blaspheming tongue, a foolish tongue, a boasting tongue, a murmuring tongue, a complaining tongue, a cursing tongue, a contentious tongue, 
a sensual tongue, a vile tongue, a tail-bearing tongue, a whispering tongue, an exaggerating tongue. All of those are mentioned directly or indirectly by the Word of God. Do, do you see the power of the tongue? Do you see the tremendous power to sin and possibility to sin in the tongue? I, I was reading as I, as I was studying this, and, and, and people have found that we speak, about, we speak about 18, on average, about 18 to 30,000 words a day. 18 to 30,000 words a day. People have said statistically that men, and I don't, I'm just commenting. I'm not giving a commentary. I'm just commenting. Men tend to average about 22 to 25,000 words a day. Men, I mean women, usually average about 30,000 words a day. I'm just bringing the mail. I'm not commenting on the mail. Somebody calculated that based on that, listen to this. Every single day through our words, we put together a 54-page book. The amount of words that we speak on any given day is the equivalent of a 54-page book. Every year it says that we produce at that rate we would produce, we speak 66 800-page books. Through your mouth, through my mouth, we speak 66 books that are 800 pages. When's the last time you read a book that was 800 pages long? 800-page book. If you're a normal person, based on that, listen to this, statistics say that you will spend one-fifth of your life talking. One-fifth of your life is spent using your words. Do you, see what, do you see the power of the tongue? Do you see the tremendous potential of the tongue if we don't rein it in? If we're not, if we're not cognizant of what's going on with our tongue? The, the point James is making, and the point I make with all that is this. Be careful how you spend all that time. One-fifth of your life is opened up tremendously to sin through the tongue. Tremendous power. Tremendous opportunity to do good with your tongue. And yet a tremendous opportunity to do bad with your tongue. It's no coincidence. Talking about one-fifth of your life is spent speaking. One-fifth of the Ten Commandments involve the tongue, the third and the ninth. If you go to Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 19... The writer there lists seven things that the Lord hates. Seven things that the Lord hates. Three of those, three of the things that the Lord hates involve the tongue. Lying, false witness, and sowing discord. Three of the seven things that the Lord hates involve the tongue. Do you see James' point here? Do you see how dangerous the tongue is? And James begins here by saying, let not many of you become teachers. And before you think, well, I'm not a teacher and that's why I'm not a teacher. There, there were formal roles of teachers there and there were informal roles of teachers. And, and there would have been official positions and there would have been non-official positions. And, in, and in, Jew, in James's culture, in the Jewish culture, the term teacher would have had a broad range. Official teachers... Non-official teachers. It would have included a lot more than just me. It would have included a lot more than just Dwayne or Ken or Lee. Look Look at Matthew 23 for just a second. The Jewish culture held teachers in very, very high regard. Very high regard. 
And, and in that day, it seemed that many people were, were, were seeking to be teachers simply before the benefits. And look at, look at Matthew 23, 6 and 7, and, and Matthew comments on this. He says, They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. In James's day, there were people that were flocking to the role of teacher because of the perks, because of the privilege. They, they were out for their own gain. They weren't out for the gain of the Lord. They weren't out for the gain of teaching others. They were out for their own gain. And the reason being is because teachers in that day were given humongous respect, tremendous respect to the rabbis. And people were becoming to be enamored with the perks and not the position. And again, the context here is the official position of teachers. And yet, in Matthew 28, all of us as believers are called to be disciplers, makers. We're called to be teachers. There, there's, a, there's a part of all of our lives, especially if you're a parent, you are a teacher. And James is saying, be careful. Be careful. The, the, the context is, is narrow, but the application is wide. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, not, not for pity, but for understanding that the office of teacher, the office of preacher, is a, it's a rough position. If not physically, it's rough emotionally. It comes with huge blessing. It comes with tremendous responsibility. The highs can be really high. The lows can be really low. And James is saying, be careful. Be careful if you want to be a teacher. Because it's real easy to get enamored with all the perks and get enamored with what you see, not knowing what's going on behind the curtain. I, I read this week, uh, a couple weeks ago, and, and I won't name names, but there's a, there, it's very easy, and this is illustrating. I'm, 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 not, I'm not naming him to pick on him. I'm just using it to illustrate the point. There, there's a pastor in Atlanta who is asking his congregation and his, and his followers to buy him a $70 million jet. $70 million jet. He, he currently owns a jet that's worth about $15 million, and it's, it's no longer sufficient. He's basically tried to break it down and said, hey, if I can get 200,000 of my international followers to give $300, I can buy my $70 million jet. And, and when called out on it, he says, well, I never asked him for money, although there's a thing on your website asking him for money. He tried to justify it. The, the perks are huge. Having people show up each week to hear what the Word says, what the Lord is saying through you, that can, that can be real dangerous if you're not careful. To, to take advantage of people, to become misguided. I mean... W w I had a hard time asking for $250,000 to renovate the building next door. You know, I, hey, $70 million jet? There's a lot of jets that fall short of $70 million that I think would be sufficient. Just throwing that out there, in case you're wondering. <laughs> but the office of teacher, pre and again, I, forgive me, I'm not trying to, I'm just saying that's how dangerous the position is. Hear me, dangerous. Tremendous power. I read a quote this week about preaching, and I'm just inviting you in a little bit. Not for, again, not for sympathy, but just you understand the context of what James is saying here. The, the quote said this, There's no special honor in preaching, 
there is only special pain. The pulpit calls those anointed to it as the sea calls its sailors. And like the sea, it batters and bruises and does not rest. To preach, to really preach, is to die naked a little at a time and to know that each time you do it, that you must do it again. Teaching is a very dangerous endeavor because of a lot of things. And, and that's what James is drilling down to here. And James's warning here in verse 1 is, is, first of all for us, it's this. Be careful if and what you teach. Be careful. Be careful. He says, as, as teachers, he makes it very clear, you are going to be judged very strictly and more strictly than those who do not teach. You will be judged at how you taught, at what you taught, at where you led your people. Did they grow? Did they get truth? The principle here is that greater influence brings greater responsibility. The greater the impact, the greater the accountability. And if we teach with the desire to show off, if you teach without living what you preach, God's judgment will be severe. I mean, each week, I, I, my mother-in-law, my brother-in-law, my sister-in-law are right there. They, they know me. They just spent a week with me at the beach. They couldn't wait for Saturday to come. I'm talking about the Saturday to come home. They know. It's do, he's, be careful what you teach. And, and as, I, as I was studying this, even leading up to the beach, the thought was, how careful are you with your words, Chris? Are, are, you, are you seeking to live up to what you preach? Are you seeking to live out what you preach? And James is saying, be careful. Be careful what you teach. Be careful what you hold out there. Be careful that you're not just doing it for the, for the gain, that you're living it out. Be careful. But not only be careful what you teach, he says, be careful who you listen to. I think at the same time that James warns us about teaching, he's saying, be careful who you listen to. If, if you look at history, the highest of highs and the lowest of lows of history had one thing in common, a great communicator. Somebody who was very slick with their words, who could lead people to the highest of highs and also to the lowest of lows. A good communicator. Words. No, no great movement in history did not happen apart from a great communicator. And, and why? why? Why do we need to be so careful with such a small part of the body? It's illustrated on the back of your papers. Do you see all the sins that you be committed with the tongue? No other part of the body could you make a list that long for. And as we'll see next week, here's the challenge with the tongue. At any given moment, every circumstance needed in order for me to commit sin with the tongue is always present. All I need is air to breathe and I can sin with my tongue. Other sins, it requires, hey, there's got to be some things that have got to come together. There's got to be some things that happen all at one time in order for me to commit the act. Not with the tongue. All I need to do is be breathing. And there are so many ways. Look, for we all stumble, verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able to bridle his whole body as well. The word stumble here literally points to somebody tripping over a stone, someone causing a fall. We've all, we've all fallen with regards to our tongues. 
Every single one of us in here, I, prom- I, I would be willing to bet that we can think about words that we wish we could bring back. That we could think about words that, that we spoke that we wished we would not have spoken. Not only that, I bet we can all think of words that were spoken to us that we wish that were not spoken. And the word perfect here, what, what James is getting at is that the word, he says, anyone who doesn't stumble is a perfect man. He's talking about maturity there. It's the person that's recognized the tremendous power of words, that's recognized the potential for sin through our words, that's, that's recognized what the Word of God has to say about our words. And, and he's really recognized Proverbs ten nineteen, And this is, the, this is really the passage that really struck me, that's really made me think long and hard about words. Listen, listen to the power of the tongue captured in Proverbs 10:19. In the multitude of words sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. In the multitude of words sin is not lacking. He who restrains his lips is wise. The, the more we talk, the more traps we set, the more opportunities for stumble that are in front of us. The more we think, the more we're wise, the more with maturity comes the restraining of lips, the more careful, the more wise we are. And James says, be careful what you be careful if and what you teach, be careful who 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 you listen to. But I think also he says, our words reveal the maturity of our faith. Why are words so important? Because they reveal the maturity of our faith. That's what he's saying in verse 2. Because of our sinful nature, because of the volume of the words that we use, there is a tremendous opportunity for sin, a tremendous opportunity for us to say things before we think them through. And James does not include himself, for we all stumble in many ways. Every single one of us in here faces this battle. Our words... The amount of words that we use are causes, can be causes for people to stumble. And I remember growing up as a kid, we lived in front of some woods, a huge uh, tract of, of woods. And, and there was about 10 of us kids that were close, close families. And we basically lived in those woods. And, and we dug out trails, we made trails. Well, at some point we figured it would be funny to dig holes and set traps in the trails for people to fall. So as you're, you're riding your bike down, boom, you fall in the hole. Running down the trap, boom. We would hide and watch people fall in the traps. You'd cover them up with sticks and straw. so it looked, and, and those woods became full of traps. The reality is when we were after, after a while... We, were, we, weren't even, we weren't even able to really enjoy the woods. There were so many traps out there that we had set. And I thought about that with, with our words. There's so many traps, not only for us, but for others. If fool, we were immature, we were foolish, we couldn't see the devastation that we were potentially causing ourselves. We literally would sit in high and wait. Oh, they, did, they missed it. And, and James is saying that our words are traps. Our words are, are pits causing people to fall. And he's saying, heed the warning because you're going to be judged on your words. We're all going to be judged on how we used our words. 
Did, did we use our words to cause people to grow? Or did we use our words to cause people to stumble? Did we use our words to build people up? Or did we cause our, use our words to tear people down? And there are consequences, he says, to not maturing with regards to your faith and your words. And he says, the person who is able to, to bridle his tongue, to keep his tongue in check, is able to keep his whole body in check. How is that? Because James says that the tongue is the most difficult member of the body to keep under control. You, you want to really, really get your body in check? Get your tongue in check. It requires maturity to keep it in, under control. And not only that, but the tongue is one of those parts of our body that leads our other body to sin. And it also leads others to sin. That's how powerful the tongue is. What, what James is saying here is that your tongue and my tongue, in many ways, and he uses a ship, he uses a horse, and he uses a fire. They direct our whole lives. Our tongues direct and shape our whole lives. Power for good, power for evil, all in the tongue. You, and and you, you see that with your children. You see that with children who have, who have maybe been told their whole life they're no good or this and that, and then they live that out. Versus the child who has been told their whole life how great they are and this and that, and they live that out. Power of the tongue. Listen to Proverbs 18, verses 6 and 7. A fool's lips bring strife, and his mouth calls for blows. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are the snare of his soul. Directs our whole lives. James shows us here that with such things as a, as a bit in a horse and a rudder and a spark. You know, we, we watched a few weeks ago, American Pharaoh won the Triple Crown. These, these horses are huge. And they're guided by this little teeny bit. Lindsay could speak to this more than, more than I could. She's a horse whisperer expert. They're controlled by this little bit in their mouth. They go wherever that jockey takes them by a little bit. And, and never mind that, the jockey that's sitting on that horse is about a tenth of the size of that horse. That's that probably a sport I should have gone to. <laughs> People my size are meant to be jockeys. You, feel, you get on that big old thousand-pound horse, he goes wherever he tells him. You, you've been on a ship, huge ship, tiny little rudder sitting in the back of that ship. The place where we stayed had these little Hobie Craft sailboats that you could just go out on. They'd give you lessons and all that. And, and, but they were directed, what? By this tiny little rudder in the back of the boat. Tiny little rudder. You see it even here. James says, a small, see how great a forest is set aflame by a small fire. Think about this. On, in Chicago on October 8, 1871 at 8.30 p.m., a spark in Miss O'Leary's barn grew to what was called what was known as the Chicago Fire. Listen to me. One spark in her barn burnt 17,500 buildings. 300 people lost their lives. 125,000 people were left homeless. And in 1871, one spark in her barn caused what was estimated at $400 million worth of damage. 1871. One spark. If we're honest, some of our lives have been devastated in the same way by, the, by one small word, one careless word. 
One, one casual word just thrown out there. Words are like sparks. They set, the whole, they set your whole life on fire, for good or bad. And how we speak, what James is saying here in verses 1 through 5 is how we speak is, is a significant way that we show how the gospel has changed us by our words being changed. Our speech. We'll see in the coming weeks that our speech is to be seasoned with salt, Ephesians 4 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word that is good for the moment, good for encouragement. We'll see time and time again with the Word of God and how it speaks to our, our words. But our speech and how we use our speech speaks to our grasp of the gospel. Do we grasp what God has done? How much of God's grace and how much of God's mercy truly grip our lives? Because our words are powerful. They affect the whole body. That's what James is saying. They affect the whole body. They direct, they destroy, and they discredit. All because of words. Simple words. And in closing, I just want to think about this. Think about this. And you see it on your handout. What are your words known for? What are your words known for? Are they known for their... For their seasoning? Are they known for their sincerity? Are they known for giving life? Or are your words known for giving death? Are your words known for being critical? Are your words known for being sarcastic? What are your words known for? What, what are you accomplishing? What are you accomplishing with your words? You building people up? Or are you tearing them down? Are you building people's reputations or are you destroying people's reputations? How well do you refrain with your words? How well do you do? Do you regularly let words get away? Do you, do you regularly say things that you wished you hadn't? Do you regularly find yourself apologizing for things that you've said? Who, who, not, only, not only that, but who are you listening to? What are the sources that are speaking into your life? Where are they taking you? Think about the realm of application for this. This goes for students all the way up. The music you're listening to, the teachers you're putting yourself under, the books you're reading, the TV shows you're watching. What's the one common denominator in all of those? Words. What are all of those using to direct your entire life? Words. There, there are no insignificant words. Over, over time, what we listen to becomes the way we live, good or bad. There's a philosophy, there's a way of life, there's an agenda. I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm, I'm just saying, all of those shows have an agenda. The world has an agenda, and they're grabbing us with their words, with their rhetoric. I, I do not find it insignificant in John 1, where it says... The Word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ, what did He? He came as the Word. Because words are powerful. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, Bad company corrupts good morals. One of the chief ways that bad company corrupts good morals is how? Words. 
words. As guys, I'm, if, if, if you played sports, that's the power of a coach. I watched a thing last night on, on, on TV. I just stumbled upon it. It was on uh, Brian Bosworth, and they said, how, and he, he, he went crazy. He said, how did, how did you get, to, he's, a, he's a believer now, and he was looking back remorseful and repenting on that life. They said, Brian, how did, you, how did that persona take place? He said, because of the words of a coach. A coach. The words of a coach changed the course of his entire life. The words of one coach. Think about what our words could do to each other. As I thought about that this week, probably the number one way that Satan can destroy what God is doing here at Odessa is through our words. It's through words. Backbiting, lying, gossiping, not using our words carefully. In what ways, think about this, in what ways are you stumbling with your words? Lying? Are you deceitful? Flattery? Exaggeration? How are you doing? Any bad patterns that, that maybe the Holy Spirit is, is convicting you of? See, the challenge for all of us is this. Satan is very deceptive. And we all stumble. We all stumble in many portions in many ways. God speaks. People speak. Satan speaks. All with words. Be careful who you're listening to. 2 Corinthians, I think it's... Uh, 11, chapter, I shouldn't be casual with that. 2 Corinthians 7, 11, or let me look real quick here. The verse came to mind. 11, 14, 14. For such men are false prophets, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, listen, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He doesn't come with a pitchfork and pointy ears. He comes with flattering words. He comes with words that sound good, disguising himself. Be careful who you're listening to. Think about this as we close. Proverbs 18.21 says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 18.21, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. The question becomes, what are you using your tongue for? You giving death? Or you giving life? And I close with, with even the, the power of the tongue, even in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. And I, I, the, the tie-in with the gospel. In Romans 10, Paul writes, If you confess with your... Here's the power of the tongue. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. The power of a word. If you confess with your mouth, today you may be listening to Angela's, Angela's testimony. You may be listening today thinking, I don't know this Jesus you sang about. I don't know this Jesus that, that Angela gave praise to. You confess through their mouth, Jesus is Lord. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. If you don't know that, Jesus, if you, don't, if you would not be confident today that you're a believer, when we close here, come down and see me. Let's use our words to walk you through the gospel, to help you understand that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you, that your sin has separated you from a holy God. And apart from the righteousness of Christ, you won't be saved. But that can all change with a word. 
confessing with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. I pray as we look over the coming weeks as our words, that it would not be a downer, that, that it would be a chance for the Holy Spirit to do some inventory in our lives and, and, and convict us of maybe some words that we're not, we're not using our words for, to bring life, but we're bringing, using our words to bring death. And we'll have a chance to repent of that. And we'll have a chance to, to rewrite the rest of our story, to use our words for good and not for bad.